Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me Jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. Today, my guest is Sharad. Sharad is a digital business growth and product leader with specialization around artificial intelligence slash machine learning, product management, data science application, financial risk management in banks. Uh, he has actually over 20 years of experience in building fintech, e-commerce ventures, and digital products, and has drove exponential revenue growth with strategy, digital innovation, data science, risk management, and digital marketing initiative. One of the interesting things that I know about Sharad was that he has always been a founding team of unicorns like Lazada, Zalora, Food Panda, and the recent deep tech company, Tukitaki. He manages $15 million profit and loss and almost 100 plus people across Food Panda and Kuni. At Tukitaki, he has built almost 20 plus people, data science team, developed uh, native products around artificial intelligence, anti-money laundering solutions, risk products, and has been advising banks around uh, AI in risk and compliance. Other noticeable achievements includes uh, building and launching the KPMG new digital fintech venture, achieving 20% month-on-month growth during the food pile early days, uh, building the data science functions for Zalora, Lazada across Southeast Asia, achieving 0 to $15 million annual revenue and built 100 plus people B2B, B2C e-commerce and retail business across Asia Pacific around Kuni. He was also previously in McKinsey supporting strategy and risk management consulting for several banks. Last but not least, he's also listed in the Stanford Tools list and an alumni of Institute of Technology, IIT. Okay, so... That was a handful of adventures. So let us start by asking Sharad. So Sharad, the first question I want to ask you is, tell me, how do you get here from the day that you did your first startup? So in the pity. But yeah, I think that's a chance. But I think it's always about being curious and being open-minded about new opportunities and always explore and try to do a new thing. So that's how I've reached out my early days, my first 17 years of my career, I'm out and out, corporate yeah. guy, worked in, he worked in McKinsey. And, and for that, I felt like after working in McKinsey, we thought and you and I enough to think that we can build something like McKinsey uh, for dear huge because not everybody can afford. I think for them, the luck of, of, of being just naive, I think innocent, on thinking that what 
really the effort maybe. Uh, that was my starting point into the startup journey. And then getting, jumping into and, and rocket to companies, Lazada, Zalora, was more around my rich team to explore uh, a new area around e-commerce. And then she came my company and enjoyed and did something which I do earlier. I was a, I was more of a risk strategy guy. Then suddenly was doing digital marketing and it was a phenomenal learning. So then, so taking learning from there, we just growing multiple, multifold in terms of revenue, then moved on to the QNEM, another venture. That was a profit venture. It's a large Swiss company. And then by accident, I met Abhishek, who's a founder of Tipitaki, and we started working on an idea. And really out of Singapore, we won the first enterprise. And then there was no looking back. And now we are 100 plus people come. And so my learning has been just be curious, be open-minded, and always start exploring. You never know what might come to your way. Wow. The interesting handful story. Let me go back to the early chapter so that the audience out there can really learn. Imagine about that naive thinking. What was that discovery that allows you to think about that it was naive? When you were in the early days, you started out your consulting to be a second tier consultant. What was the original conjecture that you were having in your head? And then it turns out that, ah, oh, this is naive thing. So what we noticed then is the demand for structured McKinsey-like consulting was huge. And McKinsey was always, and even today, continue to have more supply than what we can cater. And what I noticed is that it is not McKinsey is nothing, but there aren't brilliant management practice. But that sort of quality is not available. So I thought, we are McKinsey, we are three guys, we are McKinsey, why don't we start doing that and apply to Tier to close, and we got decent success. And uh, I think the learning was the other part which you missed was around in McKinsey. A lot of time people buy McKinsey product and they take their advice because it's McKinsey, it's a brand. So that's how it started, and that was a conjecture. Ah, so you were thinking that okay, I was previously from McKinsey, so I start out my own brand. I they should buy from me because I'm as equally as good as my previous company at McKinsey because I'm still me, right? You know, I'm still sure. Yeah. Uh, but then you realize that when you guys were going to market, the tier two companies, they don't see you guys as the McKinsey guy. They see you guys as individuals. Is yeah. that the the surprising thinking that not, you realize? Not an individual. We had the 50 people company and we could hire easily good people. But I think the brand and, and the kind of work we, which you have done over many years is, is a great value and great level, which is the investment you need to be with the other time. Building reputation, giving the processes and the knowledge is busy, but building, building a reputation over 100 years is something is not easy. And you need, if not 100 years, but few years to build that. It's very different in product service. Uh, okay, so now coming back to the second part, I wanted to ask you in that journey was after you left, like you say, consulting services like the X McKinsey, the X company that you try, and then you move into almost like a product-centric kind of company. Zada, Zalora, Fupanda, 
And so what was the thing that you have learned that you realized that what was the original conjecture when you go into these companies and what was the thing that you learned? Yeah, I think so. Original conjecture was that hey, I've done too much of consulting and let's get the real, let's do stuff. Let's win stuff. So that's what the was the whole idea. And the frankly, when we started, so the learning, even though I worked for not for a long period of time, but the learning was just to give an example, when we started Keependa, we started online business without having online payment. So we started cash on delivery. So food were delivered, orders came online, but payment happened offline. So my learning was being your experience is overrated. In digital world, experience comes by doing training, relearning, not just by having 20 years of past tech. Because there was nobody platform. There was no experience, past experience. So you've got to earn that experience. And we don't underestimate that things look small today. And you can laugh, you used to laugh at some time, like you are getting 100 orders a day in Singapore. And why you think that it's a good business viable? And frankly, that, that was a you know, valid question and a beautiful question. But we now know that Kidbanda must be doing more than 50,000 orders a day. So no extent sheet, no spreadsheet can predict that from 100 orders a day, you can reach up 50,000 orders a day. You can see the compounding growth for a period. So as long as there is a product market fit, you have a conviction and you have, again, innocence in you deep beliefs that what you believe is free. Things fall in place. And that's what exactly happens when we started. We didn't worry about, yeah. worried about the day. Let's wait for six more months to get an online payment up. We found ways of doing cost and we limited means. And, but get going. So I'm just curious, how do you know whether you're on the right track when, because now you are in a new frontier, you are like, your experience probably give you a way of structured or analytical thinking, but you are like almost so blue ocean or so like in the dark and you're trying to figure out, hey, am I in the right direction or right track? How do you figure that out? I think nothing speaks bigger than and better than the product market fit. If you are seeing growth, what we are doing, non-daily growth, it's not a stock market. And even stock market doesn't grow every day. So you, that validation, uh, customer feedback, if you are really helping somebody, if you are able to do somebody sitting in the wrong and seeing that, hey, thank God I don't have to spend one hour doing for my food. Then you know that there is a, a genuine need or a product gap and you are fulfilling the genuine need. The rest of the, the things will follow. As I said, no unit economics was in place. You can't even think about. And even the business plan looks daunting. The kind of the rate you would be around $10,000 and you are sitting at 100 orders a day. So technically, you must be foolish enough. But I think it is, yeah, we know that this kind of a market, this kind of a model works because it was working in Germany. It was working already just the test proven in U.S. So we know that product market fit is there. It's a matter of time and just keep going. Now, if it could be a different ball game and maybe my experience in Dukitaki would tell you when you don't have a precedence and, and a product market fit known to you, because you know, in, in this case, you knew that product market fit exists. It's just a matter of time. And we were seeing good sign except that unit economics were not in play. Yeah. Hold on to that. So because you say that 
Yes, you saw product market fit because all these other markets, they were there. It was a precedent and it was a matter of time. But the question we all know that in a startup, cash burns, right? And how that trajectory, like how are you so certain that, like you say, you will eventually reach to 50,000 orders a day from 100 orders a day when a paper or you're on Excel, you guys are projecting 10,000 orders to break even. So yeah. my question is that time period and that trajectory, what are the telltale signs that got you thinking, hmm, we are on the right track? Here? As I said, I think Ari's first question is always, are you really solving a G problem here or not? And if you're solving, uh, that's the first part. When if you talk to Ding Kassor and Kassor say, yes, you solve, thank you. You know, then you're on the right track. But if you go and say that I'm not going to use it, there's no repeat, there's no benefit. Why should I go? I eat at the next store. Why should I just order online? Look, we, have, we have that example. But we knew that the niche is always about people who are running short time, they have family, and they look really can't go. So those sort of niche and those sort of segments were giving us uh, a right side feedback. Our restaurants were very happy because that was opening a new channel for them. And so I would say these were the telltale signs. Apart from, yes, market validation and free from the other market. Ah, okay. Now coming back, you mentioned about Tukitaki. So you, when that was a B2C, a business to yeah. consumer, and then eventually you move to trying B2B, business to business, and some of it enterprise sales when there was no precedent. There was, back then there was a lot of nuances, emerging needs for artificial intelligence and machine learning application. Tell us about that experience about putting your feet into weathering whether you're on rocks or wet water that you're on the right track? Okay, so I think it is a tricky question to be frank. There is always a belief part which comes in here. But over there, I would say our understanding was always follow the customer. Like when we started working with banks like SDB or we or many other large banks, we saw clearly that the current systems are not doing their job. The current financial crime system, fraud systems are not doing the job, meaning thereby on simplest level, there is there are too many false alerts. People are spending in in checking those errors and, and alerts, which is just complete waste of time. She, the problem statement was very clear. Customer was crying and they are still crying because very high adoption is still in early states. But I think the, they are also want, we were very certain, yes, it's a sizable problem to solve. We have enough faith in the customer to demand. Now, whether they will pay for that fee, and that's the tricky part in B2B, and especially with large banks, and how much time they will take to decide, and when the cash flows will come, is a second order problem, but it is very important. And a lot of time, in, especially in Asia, companies get, they are not able to survive because the velocity, the velocity in B2B, especially for large bank, large enterprise, is huge. But we were certain that the future doesn't belong to pure play AI companies like, for example, those horizontal platforms, those in search general platform machine learning. The, the future belongs to uh, native AI products. Uh, which are purpose really to solve a particular problem. 
not a general. And, and that has its own challenges, but, but you were very clear that the future belong to vertical AI stack, not the horizontal AI stack. And because when we serve our client, they were clear that, hey, I have a large data science team. If you send me a generalist solution, I can get it made to them. It's not going to work. So give me a solution to my problem. My problem is um, there are only 0.1% of the back people who are fraudster, and I need to catch that. And current tool doesn't provide me an efficient way of doing it. And in the process, I spending, I employ army of people in doing it. Can your AI do that? If you can solve my, this uh, vertical problem, but then your AI is useful. Otherwise, it is not. Yeah, t- talking about that, because I'm also thinking about, like you mentioned about horizontal platform and vertical. And so the interesting question about vertical is also the guy, clients will also be thinking, okay, uh, why would I want to buy your vertical stuff when I have my own in-house team? It's like always the classic question of buy versus build. And how do you get around that? I think the first question is vertical versus horizontal is nothing but a specialization. If you have a pain, if you have a pain in, in, in let's suppose, your spinal cord, you are going to go to specialists. You are not going to go to GP to say that, hey, I have a pain, give me Bruce. And even the generalists will be very cagey about giving a solution over here. And that's exactly what happens. When you are dealing with horizontal platform, they all can say, I can give you beautiful start machine learning model, but that's not the problem. Problem is business. And how do you solve a business problem if you have a generalist hat? You don't have a specialization in the function which you're dealing with. So that's where our decision, I mean, none of our clients would say, and I've seen it, that when we present, and not only us as Tupitaki, but on our, in the community, whosoever present the solution saying that they, for this, this is the solution. And by the way, this is how AI is helping in it. But AI is not the, the main driver. Main driver is how you're solving the problem. Why if you go, you take that internal approach, data science approach. The whole idea is that I can build a beautiful model. That's one problem. The second part is how do you productionize it at scale for solving a particular problem? Now, the beasts are on the people whom you are dealing here or a financial client analyst. What is their specific problem? And how do you solve that problem with your software? It's not a machine learning problem. It's more around what is their behavior the, the and is your software solving those problems through machine learning. And so it's almost saying that, okay, curry makes you on, a, on the, the spices make your dish a tasty, but your spices cannot be a dish. The dish has to has so many other ingredients. Ah, so in other words, like you're actually focusing on what that specific unit business leaders, what was the specific problem that you can solve way better than they can do it with their own generalized team. Mm-hmm. It's a very good question. We hope you enjoyed our captivating conversation with Sharad Gupta, the digital business growth and product leader in part one of today's podcast episode. Sharad shared his remarkable journey from founding unicorns like Lazada, Zalora, and Foodpanda to pioneering work in AI and data science. We explored the challenges of startups, the importance of product market fit, and the power of perseverance in the digital landscape. 
Now, as we transition into part two of our enlightening discussion with Shara, get ready to explore the profound impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on digital transformation in the banking industry. We'll dive deep into the accelerated adoption of technology, process digitization, and the revolutionizing of customer experience. Shara will provide invaluable insights on leveraging AI, driving efficiency, and creating successful transformation strategies in this rapidly changing landscape. But that's mere own. We'll also uncover the strategic importance of digitizing processes, the focus on cost reduction, and the imperative to enhance customer experience in the banking sector. The episode will be filled with eye-opening discussions on how technology has reshaped the industry and the opportunities it presents for innovation and growth. So don't miss out on part two of this engaging podcast episode featuring Sharad Gupta. Prepare to gain a deeper understanding of the banking revolution through digital innovation as we continue our exploration of the dynamic world of technology and its impact on various sectors. Stay tuned for another enlightening conversation. Hi guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. If this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, Please share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. See you later, and see you soon.